You're listening to a Southern Star Media Production. Hello and welcome to the Southern Star's Coronavirus Podcast. I'm Siobhan Cronin, the news editor. And I'm lifestyle editor Emma Connolly. And each week we talk to people at the centre of the COVID-19 pandemic in West Cork and beyond. We'll also take a look at that week's Southern Star newspaper and how our reporters all around West Cork are covering the pandemic and some other stories too. This week we'll also have some new music from Kinsale-based singer-songwriter Klaus Harvey. And also in this week's podcast, I will be talking to two women about climate change, sustainability, and where the world is right now in its fight to save the planet. But first, let's take a look at this week's paper, Emma. Yes, Siobhan. So it's a jam-packed edition. I mean, forget about silly season. There's so much happening um, in West Cork right now. It's it's insane. We could have filled three papers. But um, on page one, we've got a, a good story. I think it's going to concern a lot of parents and students from Kieran Amani. Um, it's the upcoming concerns over school buses and social distancing this September. Um, we've also got another great one about the traffic gridlock at West Cork's beaches last weekend. If you were stuck in the middle of that, you'll know all about it. And then, of course, we put the spotlight on our incredible um, local sea swimmer, Steve Redmond, and his amazing achievement. Um, and actually, Siobhan, you also have got a really fascinating story about a famine letter, which literally has to be heard to be believed. I mean, it's got all the elements of a Hollywood movie. Tell us, tell us about that. Yeah, that's um, a letter that has been uncovered in recent weeks by the Skibbereen Heritage Centre. And Terry Carney is the manager there, and she's done an awful lot of work into this. She was looking for uh, material, really, to fill a exhibition that they wanted to put on to mark 20 years of the Heritage Centre and of course it is the uh, premier famine museum in the area as well given that Skibbereen was so badly hit. So she came across this letter which was written in 1846 and it was written uh, by a magistrate in Cork City who had heard that the famine was really uh, causing quite an awful lot of devastation in this area and he decided to come down and see for himself so after having spent some time here, he was so horrified by what, what he saw. And we have the letter in full printed inside this week. And it really is horrific scenes of people tearing at his clothes, trying to get at him. Um, a woman with a baby, you know, quite obviously in the last stages of life. Um, out of nowhere, 200 people came upon him, kind of came out of what he calls little hovels. Um, this was down around Reen near Union Hall. So he wrote a letter to the Duke of Wellington with the intention of it being sent on to the Queen. And within weeks of that, a famine relief committee was set up. And the, the equivalent in today's money of about 43 million euro was sent. Unbelievable. To, yeah, sent to Ireland. And quite a lot of that was sent to Skibbereen because of this letter. Now, when they went to find the letter, they thought what they found was... Um, a copy but actually they have had it verified since and the handwriting and the smudges on it and they believe it is one of the original letters that this man Cummings wrote and he wrote it several times the same letter because of course in those days there was no such thing as carbon paper or photocopiers and he sent it to a load of newspapers one of them being the Times of London and when that was published it was it had caused quite a sensation really that what was happening in Ireland and in fairness, this is something that's not really um, written into our history books, but the people of Britain 
actually came out in their droves and helped when the, you know when when word spread about okay. happening and yeah. sent money to the Irish you know so even though the government has been criticized heavily the plain people of England basically you know were horrified and mm. um, so that letter in itself is quite significant but what's even more significant is that a man called Patrick Aloysius O'Hare brought it to America with him when he left Ireland and emigrated and it was passed down through his family and through marriage he is related to Rita Hayworth the um this is where it gets really interesting yeah she's the famous American Hollywood actress really glamorous beautiful looking woman she married the Aga Khan which I actually hadn't realized and so their daughter Princess Yasmin is alive now and Terry managed to contact her and tell her about the letter and she's really thrilled and she's saying she'd love to come to Ireland sometime and, and see it in person but the letter is going on display this week in the Heritage Centre and it's a fascinating story and also Rita Hayworth's uncle was a man called Vinton Hayworth and he was in, in his own right very famous actor and he was in I Dream of Jeannie which I think you know, oh, yeah. older ones among us we remember in the 60s. And um, so it's just, it's got all the ingredients for a fantastic story. Totally. And I mean, major kudos to Terry for um, bringing it all together and sticking with it. It's I mean, just, it could very well have never been uncovered. And, and to yourself, then, yeah, it's for, for, for putting it together in such, a, in such an accessible way. No, I think that's a... That's one that readers are just going to like think, is this really, is this really true? Fascinating. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm dying to get a look at the letter myself now when it goes on display because it's a really yeah. unique piece of history and, uh, and it's been passed down through generations. So that's a, a, a fantastic story, really. Um, so also, um, Emma, we also have inside um, a quirky little... The Young story. Offenders, yeah. Yes. Um, on the, on the, yeah, this is, this is it's, it's, it's very light-hearted, but it's, got, it's like super cute. Turns out that there's a very strong West Cork link to the new series of The Young Offenders, um, which obviously is as Cork as Cork can be. Um, so the, the third series stuff, uh, returns to our screens this Friday night after the news, and turns out that Baby Star is played by none other. Um, it's, it's a shared role by Dribbley twin sisters, Penny and Nola Richardson. So um, it was filmed last July when the girls were eight months old and they're 19 months now and still completely oblivious to their claim to fame. But um, yeah, I spoke to the mom, um, their mom, Randa, and turns out that the girls completely stole the hearts of, of the boys and the entire crew and had them eating out of their hands. They used to like sing to them between um, takes and everything. So we've got a little taster of it in this week's paper and then we've got the full interview you and some great pictures um, in next week's Southern Stars. So where where their mum and dad are telling me about how they had to juggle, you know, nappies and naps and feeds on the set, and basically whoever, whichever baby was kind of most settled was the one that was plonked into the scene, kind of thing, um, and you know, driving up and down every day from Germany and stuff. So it's um, it's a good one, and um, I think yeah. readers will enjoy that one. There's a gorgeous picture of them with. Um, Jock, who was played by Chris Wally. Um, yeah, yeah, it well, yeah. So, um, and, and a story that kind of sends shivers through my spine is that the jellyfish are back in West Cork. Now, of course, because you're a sea swimmer, exactly. 
Yeah, so that's where the old wetsuit comes in very handy, I have to say, and the gloves and the hat and the and the socks because as much covering as you can get on you these days. <laughs> but not too many sightings of the Portuguese man of war, although there have been ones in Kilbritton and Longstrand. But there's quite a few other nasty little fellows in the water anyway, and even that compass, which is seemingly not that dangerous can give you a nasty enough little sting and if there's quite a few mm. together in a group you can you can be a bit sore and we spoke about Steve Redmond um he's on the front page this week and he swam the 40 kilometers to the fastened rock and back the first person ever to complete it over and back and he did Incredible. make yeah to the jellyfish and he said never mind the sharks he had no bother with the sharks following him but he said, these guys can bite your tongue, bite your lips, bite your nose. And um, he had to take painkillers and go to bed when he got home because of the, the jelly sting bites. So um, that just kind of gives you a little bit of a... And the, the yeah, other yeah. side of West Cork summer, I'm afraid. <laughs> and also, Emma, uh, kind of following on the theme of, I think we did something similar last week about the snug pubs in McCroom. This is called One for the Road, and it's a cute, yes. a cute really cute little mobile pub uh, that these guys from Ahiol decided to put together when they had some time on their hands. And I love the quote from them. They said, we got a 14-foot trailer that someone said they wouldn't put chickens in, and then we built a pub on top of it. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's gas, and it's in, it's in high demand by all accounts. Um, and I yeah, think can, readers will see from our picture. Yeah, it's very authentic. I mean... You you will definitely get the the real Irish pub experience in it. Yeah, and you can rent it now. They weren't initially going to do it. They just put it on wheels so they could share it amongst the three of them in each other's houses. And then when the <laughs> word got out that it was available and it could move, uh, they got a bit of demand. So now they've decided to hire it. So it's yeah. on Facebook, I think, if you want to book a weekend with your your own pub. <laughs> So um, another story there on page four, which I thought was really interesting, um, Emma, was about the, um, the, the first woman to walk in space. And she is being interviewed this week, I think, by Pat Kenny on a, on a podcast. That's it. Event. But she actually also has dived to the deepest area in the sea. So she's gone to the highest heights and the deepest depths. And of course, being such an intrepid explorer, she has West Cork, Kerry Links. She's right on the border there. Her father's family are from Barra. So that's just a nice little quirky story there as well. Yeah. A fantastic um, American astronaut called Kathy Sullivan. And uh, another story that's very close to my own heart, because I think it's probably my favorite location in all of Cork, which is Fort um, Mar in Crosshaven and um, mm -hmm. that was you know I think a very a fantastic community story there the fort had fallen into disrepair and ruin it was overgrown it was weeds everywhere and the locals just got together and decided you know what this is a great tourist attraction we're going to get it back on track they've put years of work into it it opened there a few years ago and um, they've had some great summers there and if anyone um, does get the time to visit it They've just announced they won't open till next year now because of social distancing and the fact they're a volunteer group and they don't have that many people available to, to police it. But I think it has the most spectacular view in Cork from the cafe. It is the whole of Cork Harbour from the city 
to Roach's point. It's stunning. I was at yeah, yeah. I was at um, I was at a wedding there um, a few years back. Yeah, and it was one of those magical days. Um, and it, yeah, it was just it's a standout spot. It's a pity it's not going to open the season, as you say, um, given that it's so volunteer led. But look, hopefully, I think as you say, everyone should put it on their must visit list for it for next year and support them. And um, it's it's a little gem, all right. Mm. Absolutely. And uh, just one other story there I was in, involved in. Um, I, I got um, an article from Dahi Fallon, who is originally from Roscommon, but he's living in Inishana now. And he just spent some time researching this story about Sergeant Mulheran, who was an RIC officer um, during the War of Independence. And he was shot at the top of the steps at, outside Bandon Church this week in 1920. And it's just a very interesting piece. Um, there was a bit of a turning point in itself in the war because even Michael Collins came out and said, look, this is, this is not, you know, this is not right. This man was going to church. He actually had his hand on the door about to go in. He was shot in the back. Um, there was all sorts of um, theories about who had shot him. And um, it's just a really interesting piece, uh, a kind of a... An, an unusual take maybe on the whole war of independence it's it's really worth it yeah. you're interested in history and um, oh yeah it's, it's yeah it brings it brings great value i mean now that we're actually talking i mean the the famine letter and that's this story alone like are really um unique unique takes that like our readers wouldn't have heard about anywhere else like so um this, this, yeah, this and I think, take um, on the, on the abandoned murder is fascinating yeah, and there has been a real grow for nostalgia in the, I don't know what the connection, I'm sure psychologists would know what the connection between pandemics and lockdowns and nostalgia is. But as you, uh. as you know, we've all been talking about old TV series, looking at old books again, and um, history has had a massive resurgence and there's been huge interest. We've seen ourselves anytime we put anything on Facebook of a history nature, there's a huge take up. So, I mean, this this is well worth a read, I think, uh, certainly in the, in the year that's in it as well. And definitely, uh, definitely. Emma, you wanted to talk there about a story you'd done a few weeks ago, which was on the front page about the lack of broadband in Gagan. And there's been a yes, yeah, year. totally. Yeah. Um, just very quickly, a few weeks back, we put the spotlight on a, a group of work, a group of people living in Gagan who have been had to work out of Bandon Car Park and um, Bandon Church Car Park because basically their broadband at home wasn't good enough. And um, so this week um, we're um, updating it. It turns out that the Owen um, O'Sullivan of the Bandon Tuition Centre has very kindly come to their um, temporary rescue and has offered them a space in the centre, which is obviously empty because it's summertime, so they can avail of the facilities there um, until September at least, and they're completely grateful for that. But obviously enough, they're saying. Um, wonderful but it's only temporary we nothing you know their, our situation hasn't changed and they're pinning all hopes on the national broadband plan which obviously has been stalled several times um, and yeah they just want to keep the spotlight on that so while they're saying brilliant thank you very much Owen and Bandon Tuition Centre come September they're going to find themselves in the very same situation and actually one of the um, chaps daughter attends Mary I in Limerick and she's been told already that she'll only be attending in Limerick for one out of the four weeks every month so she'll be at home in Gagan um, for three weeks and um, yeah, her dad was saying to me look but it, as a family they're really concerned as to what's going to happen so um, that's just a little update on that. Their situation hasn't really changed. 
Um, we also are telling our readers about our new Southern Star directory, which we're very excited about this week. Um, it's a new online business and tourism directory for West Cork, and it's part of our ongoing support West Cork Top Local campaign. So um, it's been live for over two weeks now. And already we have 75 local businesses um, listed on it. Um, kind of the idea behind it is that it would be a tool that would be useful for both tourists and locals. And it would be, you know, something that would be just as useful now as it would be in the coming years. So just letting people know about it and have a look at it in terms of, uh, you know, interest, information. And of course, any businesses that would like to be featured on it, please contact us by email or give our office and the ring and skipper would be happy to um, chat about that. Um, so that's property. on our business page. Yeah. Yes, know. property. Oh my God. Beautiful house in Ballady Hub, is it? Ballady Hub. Yes, it's in Ballady Hub. But actually, like, um, with things were, you know, the property scene was obviously a little quiet once the pandemic hit. But oh my goodness, it's taken, like um, the, the West Court scene has taken a major, um, a nosedive up. It is so busy, um, as stage agents are saying at the moment, which is fantastic. And I guess all, all it's kind of pointing towards people who have been, you know, re-examining their lives and their lifestyle since the pandemic hit. And of course, um, lots of people are thinking that, you know, West Cork would be a fantastic place to relocate. And um, so, yeah, so as a result, every, everyone's really busy. So one such property which might pique the interest of anyone looking to live the West Cork dream, it's this it's on the market with um, Charles McCarthy in Skibbereen um, and yeah, Maeve McCarthy was telling me about it. Basically, she said it's a really unique property. certainly looks at it. It's a restored farmhouse on six acres, um, kind of woodland, gorgeous river bounding it. Um, the owners done most of the restoration work themselves and craftsmanship is beautiful. So, um, I mean, looking at the images and, and, and the drone photography, it's the kind of place where you think you could definitely live happily ever after. I'd like to live there, I think. Um, but there's yeah, and it's beautiful. And the next week, actually, we've got another gym um, outdoors direction with a swimming pool. So there's plenty, plenty of hot properties on the way. They're they're all a little bit more attainable than the 5.5 million island off Balaji Harbour. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I know. We still don't know who, who's who's actually snapping that one up, but that's yeah, exactly. Our, our eyes are all peeled around here, anyway. And um, there is also an interesting story on the farming this week about yeah. carbon, new, carbon neutral farming. Exactly. It's, um, like it's, it's very interesting. In fact, it's, and it's great proof how innovative our local company Carberry is. Um, yeah, so basically it's a, a world first, in fact, what they're trying to achieve. And as you said, it's, they're, trying to achieve, they're working towards creating a net zero emissions dairy farm locally. Now, it's part of a science foundation and farm zero competition. Um, and there's a whole range of experts involved with Carberry, Chagas and other advisors and all the rest. Um, it's a long-term project, obviously. It's not going to happen overnight. So this is one story we're going to be revisiting time and time again. But if everything goes to plan, and um, well, hopefully it will, this is going to be a real game changer. So it's, it's very, very exciting. It's very appropriate this week as we're talking about climate change um, just after this on the podcast as well. But um, just tell me a little bit about the story on the front of community this week. Because when I was reading yes. it, I, I told you I found it quite emotional and uh, beautifully written. But... There's a really kind of um, poignant backstory to it, isn't there? The Bob Oak project. Yeah, 
Yes, there is, you know, and I mean, as you said, look, it's, we, we had a little chat earlier, like it is kind of somber reading and it's sad, but just, that's just a reflection of, you know, life sometimes, basically. So it's, it's I'm telling um, people about the Bob O project, which is this really um, incredible project being spearheaded by a lady living in Port McSherry, a lady called Laura Whalen. So she's a doll maker. Um, started off making dolls for her own children then dolls for her friends and stuff like that and um, she was making a doll for somebody um, some years back and this person told her how um, her brother died when he was just a couple of weeks old in a mother and baby home and it really like Laura's a mom of five herself really touched her and found it very moving and then kind of what came from that then was she was thinking look all the babies that um, you know passed away in the moment babies' homes around the countries really deserve to be remembered in some form. And she thought, why not a little doll that fits in the palm of your hand um, just to give them that dignity? And she started the ball rolling Port McSherry, started it locally, but now people all over the world are involved, literally sending little craft handmade dolls and um, to her in the local community shop where she collects them. So she, you know, after a little bit of research, decided that you know, 6,000 would be the approximate number and they're halfway there. They've made 3,000 dollars. And she, a documentary crew were literally following her around and they're making a documentary and like the ultimate plan is that they would um, travel around the country, obviously, when things um, allow to um, put on an exhibition of the dolls, chat to people who, who may have been touched by this, um, and yeah, the documentary will air at some point in the future. So, like, what she's doing is pretty, very selfless. It's, it's like touching lots of people, like I said, from Alaska, Australia, Europe, all over Ireland, and people are, are, are helping out. Great. Um, yes, it's a very worthy project. And also, mm-hmm. of course, not forgetting, I don't know what week we're on now, but we're still on your diary of the mental homeworker. <laughs> and uh, you're talking about masks and um, uh, that stair again. What do you call that stair? Blue steel. Blue steel. Oh, my blue steel. Blue my blue steel. Well, I think I'm on week 20, but I'm open to correction on that at this stage. But um, yeah, when I'm all talking about the masks, exactly. So, I mean, the column really is just a bit of fun. It's whatever whatever comes into my crazy mind um, and whatever I happen to hear. Like, actually, I think people are getting a bit careful about what they say to me now because they don't want to, um, they're afraid they're going to end up in the column, whereas I'm just trying to get people to tell me things. But um, So, I am challenging, I did um, mention... Didn't somebody stop you recently and give you a bar of chocolate at a supermarket? And yes. Other people have yeah, was, and sent you no. Well, it's, well, do you know what? Without sounding like, you know, I'm very precious about myself or anything. Um, like I've, I'm, I've worked um, in newspapers for about 20 years and I have to say, this is the most uh, engagement I've ever had with any of, my, any of the readers on anything. So, but I'm loving it. It's great. Um, I have, yeah, I got a free bar of chocolate from someone. Well, that wasn't for the column. That was just in a gesture of kindness. But um, I got um, a lovely letter from somebody in Doris telling me that how much she's enjoying it and asking me, by the way, was my mum O'Neill from Bandon? And if she was, you know, tell her I said hello or whatever. And my mum is O'Neill from Bandon, so I have to wipe back to you, Caroline, if you're listening. Um, you, had, you were on the ball there. So, um, oh yeah, it's gas. I'm, like, I'm, loving, I'm loving the interaction and I 
people coming. But yeah, so this week, talking just about masks again, I know I've, I've been banging the drum for a while, but like, you know, Siobhan, I know you feel the same, but like, people just need to wear them and wear them properly, please. And it's no big hardship, really, it isn't. Um, and um, what else was I talking about? Oh, yeah, reversing around. Yeah, I'm, I'm a brutal reverser, a brutal parker, brutal everything to do with cars, really. But I haven't just trying to hold my nerve driving the, the busy West Cork roads these days, you know, because you're going to meet these. Um, meet so much traffic and having to reverse around the corners and all the rest. So that's just a bit of fun. And we just had, had a little bit of a mention of poor Eamon Ryan who nodded off in the doll, but sure, look, I said it could happen to the best of us. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. and, um, I even noticed when the column went online this week from last week and you had said that someone had stolen your place on the beach, somebody piped up and said, I think it was me, Emma. So it just oh, no, be very I... careful in West Cork what you say because somebody somewhere will know the reference that you're making. I, I think I might have been, I think I'm not very popular. I think I might have to change my beach actually. So I have to think twice when I'm writing again. <laughs> Well, I think you should keep it up as long as you can because I think it's something that people obviously need no more than nostalgia. They also want a good laugh at the moment. So I think it's I know, exactly. worth doing. So listen, Emma, thank you so much for that. And thanks for joining us this week. And don't forget, if you can't get to the shops and you don't like reversing around corners on, on dodgy West Cork roads, you can subscribe online by going to southernstar.ie and clicking on the e-paper tab at the top or call the office on 028-21200 for a postal copy to be sent out to you. This week's interview, during Plastic Free July, is with two very impressive West Cork women. Kinsale-based Dr Tara Shine is a sustainability expert, activist, author, speaker, and so much more. She has 20 years experience of international and national policy making and has worked with the Mary Robinson Foundation Climate Justice, the OECD, the World Bank, the Irish Department of Foreign Affairs and the Environment, Environmental Protection Agency, to name just a few. Tara worked as a climate negotiator at the UN for 10 years and has just authored a book, How to Survive Your Planet, one, uh, How to Save Your Planet, rather, One Object at a Time. Alicia Joy O'Sullivan from Skibbereen is a climate change activist and one of this year's Leaving Cert students. She campaigns on a wide range of issues, including young people's mental health, LGBT matters, the reform of sexual education, and of course, climate change. In 2019, she was named Alliance Club Youth Ambassador for Ireland and last year spoke at the first UN Youth Climate Summit in New York. Just this week, she helped launch the Youth Manifesto on Climate Justice. I spoke to both of them earlier. Okay, welcome Tara and Alicia. And let me start with you, Tara. Before COVID-19 hit, climate action and sustainability were really pretty much at the top of everyone's agenda. And there was a very tangible sense, I felt, that the world was actually listening to what people had to say. But in recent months, it seems to have fallen down the agenda a bit because of what's happening in the world. So does that worry you? Um, morning, Siobhan. Um, yes and no, it hasn't fallen down the agenda. Um, yes, we've had to focus on this one major risk and crisis facing the, the planet, in this case COVID-19, but that has also focused our minds on our ability to cope with disasters when they happen. Um, and we've seen how powerful it is when government sets strong, you know, regulations and targets and 
tells us what we need to do and when that's accompanied by individual action, what we're capable of doing. And that's exactly what we need to do for climate action. So that gives me hope. And the other thing that gives me hope is the way that um, countries around the world are looking at the, the kind of the recovery funding that they're pumping into the COVID recovery now and how to make that green and making sure that there are green strings attached to that so that we spend those trillions of euros in a way that is going to deliver results for the long term so that for Alicia and her generation, they'll reap the benefits of this investment that we make now in terms of a sustainable recovery, not in terms of having locked them into further um, carbon intensive um, type of infrastructure industry into the future. So um, I don't think it's gone. I think it's more about how it finds its way in, in the new normal and how for me, we build back a better world. This is a great opportunity. When you press a restart button, it's an unprecedented um, opportunity to do things better than we did them in the past. Okay, and speaking of a restart button, now we have a new government the last few weeks <clears throat> and the Greens have a much bigger role than ever before and with some big portfolios there. So have you got a lot of hope from that, what you've seen happening in this country? Well, number one, I have great belief in collaborative leadership and shared leadership. So I think this is a this is a good development for Ireland. I think all of the parties are now going to have to hold themselves, hold themselves and each other to account. And they're going to have to be much more creative in the way they make policy and law than they have in the past, because they're going to have to do it in a collective sense. And um, I think having the Greens at the table is really important. I think now they have the, the capacity to shape policies that are are going to be sustainable but also just and equitable and inclusive um, and that's exactly what we need we need to start creating green policies that aren't just about being green but that are about making a better quality of life for everybody um, and that that means they spill way out past the environmental sdgs or sustainable development goals it's about our economics it's about our social structures um, and when we start to look at it in that broader sense, I think it's also more appealing for everybody, every single citizen. Right. And now you're both based here in West Cork and sometimes you get the impression there's a greater focus on sustainability and climate action in this part of the world because we have a very diverse um, body of people living here and quite a lot of people from other areas and people coming to us with new ideas and that. Does that make the life of a climate activist easier, being surrounded by a much more conducive environment, we'll say? So I'll ask you first. Um, yeah. Um, so I do think we're blessed to live in West Cork for all kinds of reasons, um, you know, for the natural environment, for the diversity of people that live here. But I think you will find now increasingly in, in every part of Irish society and every part of the country um, more and more pockets of people who are really interested in finding a different way uh, of living that's better for them, for their health, for their well-being, for their quality of life, and as a result for the planet. Um, but what I want to do is I think we need to grow all of these communities. So some of us self-identify as being green or something climate aware or whatever, but I want to take this conversation and really democratize it and make it so that everybody feels they can be part of this conversation about shaping a better Ireland. They don't have to be green, they can be purple, orange, blue, it doesn't matter. Um, this is a conversation for everybody because it's not about doing things just for the planet, it's about making a better society for us as Irish citizens. And that's in everybody's interest. Absolutely, and if I could just turn to you there, Alicia, 
This week in particular, now you were involved in a very exciting event. It was the launch of the Youth Climate Justice Manifesto. I know Mary Robinson was involved in that as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what exactly that means? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Siobhan. So essentially last year, um, uh, the National Youth Council of Ireland and Concern held this big event in the RDS in Dublin with 400 young people from all across Ireland, some quite young, some in their older teen years. And they basically discussed the idea of SDG 13 climate action, all about climate justice, social justice, and like uh, Tara was saying about how it's creating a better life and world for everyone. It's not just about being green or saving the turtles or something. It's about making life actually better. Um, and that's a vision. And it's a vision that some people find easier to see than others. Um, and that depends on a lot of different factors in your life. So essentially what happened from that event was they passed it on to ourselves, the National Youth Council of Ireland's Young People's Committee. It's definitely not a bit of a, a, bit of a mouthful. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and we worked on that um, at the beginning of 2020 and then still during lockdown, uh, virtually online. And we came up with the four points that we called for unity, we called for just transition, we called for green check, and we called for a social justice lens um, on climate action. And that's uh, essentially what we launched yesterday. Mary Robinson was our, our first uh, signature on our pledge. So we're hoping that as many people will sign on to that as, as possible. And what are some of the things in the manifesto? Are there a few pointers you can, you can tell us about that you're aiming yeah. at? So those, those are the four points. So essentially to break them down, we call for unity means that essentially we're not blaming one sector and we're not blaming one group of individuals. Like I know in Ireland, it's controversial between, you know, environmentalists and the agriculture sector. And we don't want that anymore. It needs to stop because it's divisive and it's not getting us anywhere. And it's not fair because we're, we're trying to transition. We're in this huge transitional period, especially now with COVID-19, like Tara mentioned, it's like a restart button. And if we're going to go back to that finger pointing stage, you know, we've even seen it with COVID. It just, it doesn't help anyone. It doesn't get us anywhere. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't help the situation at all. Um, and then for the green check, it's about developing policies that are detrimental to the environment. Um, and that I suppose, uh, you know, we directly look at how it actually can help the environment or, you know, that it's not having a negative effect if we implement something. Um, and then for the just transition, again, ensuring that we leave no one behind um, when we do this and that everyone is supported adequately. And for the social justice lens, again, so that people are helped and supported and that it's, it's again, it's not just about the, the turtles or plastic wash up, which are all, of course, important aspects of this. Um, it's about everything, but people are at the, at the center of it. And that's where our focus was with the manifesto. I spoke to you uh, last year, earlier this year now, and um, before the general election, and you were very active in getting your peer group registered and getting them out to vote. And do you think people, young people were happy overall with the outcome? Or how did you feel about the government we have now? Well, look, we have good democracy in this country. And at the end of the day, numbers are numbers. and look maybe preferably <laughs> people who got in who I wouldn't have wanted to get in got in but at the end of the day I think 
at the at that moment in time we needed a government and that was pretty obvious to to most people who had a head on their shoulders and we were kind of you know we had the caretaker government but people needed real strong leadership and they needed to see someone at the top and it's obviously difficult when it's a caretaker government to see that as an accurate representation of what you voted on a couple of weeks ago you know especially in, in such a high uh, tense situation which was COVID-19 at the beginning so and I think young people they voted for change they did they certainly came out in Cork Southwest and, and and voted I don't know if I had any help but they certainly did and it was interesting during the whole leaving certificate situation to see how many young people were getting engaged. I think I never, uh, I think more young people know who Joe McHugh is now than they ever did before. Um, so it was interesting to see young people getting directly involved, um, obviously in a negative situation, but it might spark something to continue to vote in the future. And um, are you worried now that the question I, I posed to Tara there that the focus has gone a little bit off climate change? I know Tara says it hasn't, but maybe I'm just coming from a journalist point of view. It's not really on the front pages to the extent that it was. If you go back a few months ago where Greta Thunberg was on the front page nearly every day on some paper. So are you a little bit worried that maybe we've just taken our eye off the ball? Um, I think we're not in the same position as we were before because it really was never spoken about. There was, you know, I know even for myself, like I really started getting involved when the strikes began. Um, so like it, the kind of the level of people involved now is vastly different than before. And yeah, of course, like, you know, we always want climate change to be the forefront of conversations because it it revolves around everything like i said like people and planet and of course it has major health implications as well like you know that has to be recognized but i think at the moment in the pandemic that we're in it's 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 a it's a very kind of i suppose a short-term um problem that hopefully will will lead to a, a vaccine at some point and climate change unfortunately isn't going away that fast um and we don't have a, a vaccine or or something that can <laughs> that can fix it, it'll be a variety of, uh, of solutions and uh, innovation that will do that. So I think at the moment our, our concentration is on COVID, but like I said, there's amazing people like, like Tara and, and the, the, the youth group yesterday who launched the manifesto and everyone who's at that event who are, who are really interested still. Right. And, and Tara, well, going, I suppose. yeah, I was going to yeah. say, I really, I like, I love what Alicia is saying there. And I think that What's emerging from this too is that there's connections between climate change and COVID so, and, and injustice. So in the parts of the world and in the parts of our country where the air quality is poorest due to air pollution, and air pollution causes climate change but also makes us sick. Those are also the places with the highest incidence of COVID and where people have suffered most. So there, this point that we're constantly making that you can't separate the health of the environment from the health of us as human beings is actually coming to the fore at the moment. And I think for me, there have always been periods of time where the policy boring people like me, um, we just chuck along in the background, even when the line, even when the spotlight goes off climate and environment, but it always comes back. And then that boring trudgy work that we're doing in the background is still really important. So that's always a message I have for people of Alicia's generation and younger too. It's, it's not that we haven't done anything about climate um, over the last 20 years. We've done a lot of policy making and testing and seeing what works and what doesn't work. 
So it isn't all on, on, on the shoulders of, of the youth. Some, there is something there to build on um, that I hope can help her generation then scale up and move faster and with greater urgency than my generation has. But I do hope that we've done some of the, that groundwork that's there. Um, and it tends to be invisible and that's fine. But I think, you know, it'll help us to scale up faster once we get this momentum and political will. And I think that's where my objectives and Alicia's and so many's are completely aligned. We just want to grow the conversation. We want more people in Ireland to talk about climate from whatever angle works for them, whether they care about it because of plastic pollution or their health or their kids' health or their job or what job, what their kids should go to university and, and, and study. All of these things are connected to how we deal with the climate crisis. So people just have to find the right way in for them. Right. Well, recently enough, um, Greta gave an interview to Time magazine and she did she said that she felt that the the level of knowledge and awareness about climate change is close to non-existent. Now, I think she's talking on a very grand scale there. She's talking about world leaders, really. And she she does seem to be quite pessimistic still. I mean, you know, do, do you think that there is there is still hope there? I'm talking about on the grand scale now where you're talking about massive world leaders. And, you know, America, unfortunately, hasn't hasn't been a great role model and there's several other large countries, I think, coming up behind them that, you know, we would have looked to in the past, you know, for leadership. Like, does that ever kind of drag you down, Tara? <laughs> well, it's impossible not to be dragged down sometimes by the presidents of countries like the United States and Brazil and other places. But it's not through a lack of, of knowledge. Um, they just choose not to use the knowledge that's there or they choose not to have the right advisors. So leaders read... So they don't know everything. They can't know everything about everything that they govern. So they have to surround themselves with advisors um, that, that can help them to make the right policy decisions and can help them to have a broader understanding of all the pertinent issues. So it's a choosing not to know. Um, it's a different issue for leaders than it is for everyday people, where I think there's a bit of confusion is often the problem. So sometimes a lack of information, but also a confusion around the information that's there. But a true leader acknowledges what they don't know and they ask for help. So, you know, my favorite thing is to contrast Jacinda Ardern in New Zealand with um, Donald Trump, for example. Uh, the one leads, her, her basic foundational principle for her government's leadership is kindness versus Donald Trump, who's always trying to win and dominate. And, and so these are two completely different leadership styles. And I'm really interested in how we grow the leaders of tomorrow to, to to lead through collaboration, to lead through empathy and kindness, and to lead with greater diversity and inclusion so that there's more Tara Siobhan's and Alicia's at the decision-making tables alongside the wonderful men that are making decisions. And so we get this, we get this greater blend of ideas and, um, and, and different perspectives that we need to, to lead into a very uncertain future. So yeah, a little bit humi more humility from leaders and they can access all the information they need. Well, it's just interesting you said that because it hadn't dawned on me uh, that this is three women talking here and that your, the role model you chose was another woman. Do you think women are just a little bit more mother nature nurturing that they tend to get involved in on the right side of this debate? Um, 
the modern nature nurturing I don't know so I'm part of a, of a leadership program called Homer Bound which the tagline is mother nature needs her daughters so mother nature definitely needs more women at the decision making table women are scientifically proven to be more collaborative and more legacy minded so we think more in the long term and we're more open to working together so those traits alone brought into into um, decision making are really really strong and above all we just need diversity of every kind in in decision making otherwise we'll never get it right it's like trying to make the hardest decisions with only half of your team and um, we need the whole team on board to make the hardest decisions i don't know what do you think alicia no i think you're right and it's funny because um i suppose in the climate movement and and definitely in the last year or two it's all about like activism and the environment and like all these very harsh words um and i you know mother nature sometimes and like nature is kind of lost in that conversation and i was in my old primary school recently before uh, covid and i met the teacher who used to run the green schools committee with us and i was like a weirdo i was involved from like when it began to when i left um and she was like, oh, do you remember our saying? And I was like, no, what are you on about? <laughs> like, of course, I don't remember. She was like, um, we ran a competition anyway to, to get our slogan. And it was Mother Earth cares for you and me without her, we cease to be. And since she said it, I've been thinking about it so much that like I was only like between eight and 12. And, you know, we kind of came up with that collaboratively that you know, we had that realization that without Mother Nature, um, our lives are, you know, maybe not ceased to be, but are certainly drastically different if uh, if we don't react to climate change accordingly. And that's just stuck in my mind since the day she said it. Keep it. That's gold. <laughs> Absolutely. You could adopt it for your, your Youth Climate Change Manifesto as well. Um, I, I have been getting almost panic attacks about the amount of PPE that's being manufactured at the moment, which I know is a necessity, but it is plastic, the vast majority of it. Is there any way around that? Have either of you come across anything that we can do to limit it or replace it? Or what, what the hell are we going to do in, in two or three years time when all of this starts to show up in our oceans? Mm, it's already, it's already on the side of the road. It's already on the beach. Yeah, I think... So the coronavirus is killed by soap and water. So that means there's no reason we can't have reusable things um, made from natural fibers too. A lot of the people I know working, wearing a lot of PPE, it's really hot, it's really uncomfortable because it's not breathable because it's plastic. Um, and then there's so much of it because it's single use and disposable. So my call out there for anybody listening to us is I would like the health and safety profession and the medical profession to sit down with sustainability professionals and work out a long-term solution around PPE that's going to enhance the experience of the people wearing the PPE and also reduce the amount of waste. I think it's absolutely totally doable. There's no scientific or medical reason that, that we can't. Now, yes, in surgical theatres and in you know intensive care, it's a, it's a different thing. But sort of, you know, in the rest of the world, we do not need to be using this single-use plastic-based PPE. Um, and what we can all do in our own for ourselves is make sure that the face mask or face covering we get is made from, you know, as long as it's two or three layers of cotton, that's, they say that's fine and you can wash that and reuse it and we can, we can model that behavior. And I think there's great job opportunities too that I'm seeing springing up 
uh, for companies, small companies and SMEs around Ireland in making reusable gowns, reusable PPE that can be washed. So it's somebody's a mindset, but we also need that the guidance is clear and that the, um, the health and safety guidance and sustainability guidance line up with each other. And Elisa, how do you feel about that? I mean, there was a, a great move there in, before COVID, even in the schools, to cut down on plastic, you know, single-use uh, bottles and um, other equipment. Have you have you found there's there's been good reaction to that? Yeah, definitely. There there was a huge shift, um, even in my own school in trying to bring in. We brought in like you know one of those water fountains, the really expensive ones, and people were moving away from the idea that, you know, we, we need to start thinking long-term rather than short-term. And that's the, I think that's the issue here is that, you know, we're in a really unprecedented situation and uh, people are, you know, fighting to get the right knowledge and it can be a lot of misinformation a lot of times. And it's obviously a scary time as well. And like sometimes, unfortunately sustainability and the environment can come second and you know obviously people put their health first and that's sometimes they're interlinked a lot of the time they're interlinked but i suppose people are, are rushing to make decisions it's decisions it's making the right information out there and i'm glad tara shared that that piece because i hope everyone listening would hear it because it's hard to get that information and know like you know which masks are more suitable depending on um you know if you're immunocompromised or you're over the age of 70 or or whatever but I, I think it is just the knowledge and the awareness of of um that those masks are are just as good once you're once you're washing really and um can i ask you now both for you what would you like to see as the top three priorities if you could wave a magic wand and get three solutions to three current problems tara i know you've written a book recently um kind of along those lines you know kind of a i suppose a dummy's guide really to sustainability um, what, what, what would you like to pick out as your top three things that you think are achievable? Yeah, so if I, if I start with the book, the book's called How to Save Your Planet, One Object at a Time, and it's about making sustainability for everybody because it's all based around the most everyday objects that are in your house, your garden shed, bottom of your gym bag, wherever it might be. Um, and the whole message there is try something, make a small change and tell someone about it. So as Alicia has found out, one of the most powerful things we have as individuals is our voice. Um, and the ripple effect of our voice is, is massive. So if, if Alicia makes a change from reading my book and she tells her friend that this was good and she tells her brother and she tells her granny and each one of them tells someone else um, and they all practice this small change, we then grow many, many people making small changes into what is actually quite powerful in terms of its ultimate impact. So uh, two things would be, one, make a small change, and two, use your voice, tell people, you know, bring it up in any conversation that you're having, um, because you're a more powerful messenger to your peers than I am to your peers, because they trust you, they know you, and they like you. And the third thing is, um, number three is one, for, is one for governments, which is that we, we, should, we would not spend one penny, uh, euro, um, or cent, um, on our recovery that has not been uh, checked against the SDGs and the Paris Agreement to make sure that what we invest this money that we're borrowing now in is going to yield a great reward for Alicia and Alicia's children and their grandchildren in the future. So we have to invest every cent of that money really, really wisely. And we know how to do that. It's not an unknown. We know exactly how to do that. 
Um, it's just about making the right choices. Hard choices, yes, but the right choices. Those are my three things. And Alicia? Yeah, um, I yeah, that's that's amazing, Cara, and I I totally agree. Um, I suppose from my perspective, they're they're similar. Um, and I was listening to Mary Robinson yesterday and Selena Newark, who's from the Marshall Islands. I definitely think that you know that supporting supporting the most vulnerable in the transition, who here in Ireland would be people working in the Midlands and far, small farmers particularly. And supporting those people because there's no conversation being had at the moment where they're involved in what's going to happen to them. And I, you know, the pointing of the fingers doesn't work when people aren't even in the conversation to begin with. I just don't think it's ethical at all. Um, and then the second thing I suppose is similarly to change the dialogue about climate action. And you know, you don't need to be this like climate activist or like Greta Thunberg to to make a change, whether it's like at home, like Tara was saying, that her book shows you how to make small little steps or to you know, help a friend to do something, or whether it's in your school or college or workplace, that you know, those small little steps are where most things have, have developed from. Um, and the third thing um, is really about young people, and it's about getting a Climate Youth Council up and running here in Ireland so that young people can really direct their, uh, their voice in a in a, in a proper setting with a seat at the table, because I think at this point that young people, you know, we deserve to have that, that chance to echo how we feel about the situation, because we're the, we're the future and, and we're coming up and we're living in this world right now. And a lot of young people have great innovative ideas as well to share and young professionals as well. So I think that's, that's another key that I'd like to see happen. Great. And Elise, can I just ask you, because you're one of the, controversial in quotes uh, leaving cert students this year and I know you've been tweeting a lot about lack of communication and you know slowness in decision making so I mean how are you balancing all that stress and uh, you know and your your hopes and optimism for your your career along with um, you know climate change and all that I mean is it you, you must be a very organized lady to be able to balance everything this year in particular um, when you said controversial, I didn't know what was going to come after, <laughs> to be honest. Um, no, I, it, it has been tough. Like, it's been really tough for everyone, I suppose. I'm really lucky um, because, Siobhan, you know, like, I've been involved in a lot of things for the last few years. So I've been kind of balancing school and, like, stuff outside of school anyway um, with different organisations. So I kind of have learned to work from home um, as best as I could could and can at an early age where I know a lot of young people really struggled which was which was tough to see you know um, and I think it, it has been tough and there's no denying that I think a lot of Leaving Cert students have have found it immensely tough but I'm hopeful uh, that this has given young people a, a bigger voice in in these things. Excellent well listen ladies thanks very much for joining uh, me today and this um, during Plastic Free July and uh, Best of luck with the campaigns, both of you, and with the futures. Thank you. This week's music comes from Klaus Harvey. Klaus performs with a band called the Four Maldehydes in the Kinsale area and has also performed at several arts festivals. In the past, he has opened for acts such as Tracy Chapman and Michelle Schacht and recorded this song during lockdown for the Self-Isolation series by Porch Productions. Mm -hmm. 
It's called Alone in a Room, and the words are very appropriate for this week's podcast theme. So have a listen. Living in hope, but I've given up waiting. The worst kind of outcome is the worth contemplating. Love is elusive like water slips in your Become a recluse and let yourself loose on the line. Look out the window, surprise, it's not raining. Red streaks at sunrise, but I'm not complaining. Self-isolating makes us all go deeper inside. Extroverts climbing the walls, simply terrified. Talk, but I need to take action. And I want to sleep, but my thoughts are distracting. I didn't think it was love, oh, but what a surprise! Thank you for listening to the Southern Star Coronavirus podcast. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to our podcast, which is available now on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, Acast, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. They say you can show it, but you cannot teach it. Sharpen my wits and my critical thinking. Floods of false stories and the cities are sinking on my All of our problems, according to Pascal, stem from the fact that we just cannot sit still alone in a room safe, nothing but our own soul. Trying to fill up the emptiness is an Thanks for listening to another Southern Star Media podcast production. Stay connected to West Cork by subscribing to our e-paper and support local, quality and trusted journalism. Visit www.subscribe.southernstar.ie